Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. Story time. My park patrol had become so sleepy that I began taking the liberty of spending the earliest part of it walking one of the shorter trails. It's technically not a bad thing to do. It just meant that I would. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. ...be able to speed off to respond to any incidents right away. But I was coming up on week six without any kind of alert, so I began to relax my approach to things. And yes, Murphy's Law has a way of singling people like me out. I was at the point on the trail that was the furthest from my car, when I had heard a horrible shrieking that shattered the silence of the forest. I was torn between sprinting back to my car and just running to where the screaming seemed to be coming from. But when you're surrounded by trees like that, it's pretty impossible to gauge just how far away any sound is. I opted for doing the whole thing on foot, promising myself that I'd never leave my car behind again. The screaming continued and I seemed to be zeroing in on it. But when I thought I was going to come up on a source, it would suddenly be another 15 seconds of running away. I wondered if I was having hearing issues. 
or if the acoustics of the forest were just so unfortunately arranged that that screwed with my perceptions badly. But it kept happening. My urgency began to melt into suspicion. I did the worst thing that any park ranger could do in a situation like that. And I stopped chasing. Instead I began creeping. I crept up through the tall grasses, ducking behind trees trying to get as close to the noise as I could. Before whatever it was could give me the slip again. It worked. Peering out from behind my tree, I saw something that was only vaguely human. From its head to its neck, to its shoulders, was a stretched membrane of skin, that almost made it look like a nun's headwear. Except it was skin. The whole thing was nude and seemed to be of the female persuasion. Its chest was flat and long and pendulous. The eyes were gaping and yellowed. The mouth was something else, and it stretched open. Almost like it was distended, unhinged like a snake's jaw. And the unnaturally yawning cavity bellowed another plaintive cry of distress. The polarity of everything changed in that very moment. I was being deceived. But deceived into what I didn't know. I put one hand on my pistol just to be safe. And I began to back away from the direction I was heading. The creature or whatever swayed as if anxious. And it let out another longer louder cry. I just kept backing up. This caused the creature to scream again. But not in distress. It was the hell of an enraged predator. Deprived of a meal, it rocketed toward me. Propelling itself through its strides with its knuckles. Like that of a gorilla, in the time that it took me to bring my pistol up to an aiming position. The creature was close enough for me to spit on. Luck was on my side at the last possible second. My shot landed right between the eyes of it. And it face planted hard into the ground. Here's the part that might get rejected, from being read. I got ready to radio out and tell the office what I'd just experienced. But the body of the creature slowly crumbled into a pile of white pulsating embers. That cooled off into gray ashes. I poked at the pile for bones or anything. But there was nothing left. I quickly told the main office that there was nothing wrong. And when they questioned me I just told them off. I quickly dismissed anything and told them I didn't feel well. And then, shortly afterwards I quit that job entirely. I'm Cole Michaels, and I live here in Coquitlam, a city in the lower mainland of British Columbia, Canada. I work for the Coquitlam Park Ranger Team, a volunteer search and rescue association based in here in British Columbia. Our primary area of operations is just shy of 2,000 square kilometers, and includes some of the most rugged and inaccessible terrain in the southwest region of the province of British Columbia. The team also provides assistance to residents during natural disasters such as floods and earthquakes. But my work isn't at the glamorous end of the spectrum, loading up into helicopters and winching wounded walkers off of mountain trails. I'm more at home in my office cubicle than I am in the belly of a rescue chopper, and much more comfortable in jeans and a polo than a climbing harness and safety helmet. You see, for the past few years, myself and a handful of other IT graduates have been working on a publicly accessible database that compiles information of British Columbia's missing persons. We've built a database with dozens of names compiled from the memories of SAR volunteers throughout the province. 
So far it dates back to 2002, when many files started going electronic. Delving further into the past will be difficult, with paper records gathering dust on the desks of other volunteer members, but it's something we find extremely fulfilling. Every missing person's profile we complete is a little ray of hope for a family that would do anything to gain a little closure, and each one is a personal victory for my small, but dedicated team. Having said that, there is one case in particular that I'd like to discuss today, one that left me increasingly disturbed the more I studied it. This is the story of Mackie Basil's disappearance. Immaculate Mackie Basil was born on December 8th, th, 1985. The 8th of December is also the date of the Roman Catholic Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which is how Mackie's parents decided on her name. Although we've been unable to find out why, Mackie's parents, Samuel Basil and Patricia Joseph, abandoned her to British Columbia's foster care system when she was young, along with her sisters Ida and Crystal. She was known to be an introvert who rarely partied and was not known to drink or do drugs. She was also very selective with who she spent time with and often preferred to stay at home cleaning, decorating, completing tasks, being online, talking with her sisters or spending time with her son, Jameson, who was just five years old at the time of her disappearance. The testimonies of those close to her, referencing Mackie's preference to quiet nights in as opposed to drunken nights out, leads us to our first major conundrum. Because on the night she was last seen, Mackie was apparently attending a house party on the Tachi Reserve, an enclave of the Tlsdan tribe of First Nations people, of which Mackie was a member. She was driven up to the reserve by a cousin of hers named Keith, which is again unusual given that Mackie was apparently averse to going anywhere without her own wheels, and if she did, it was often with her son in tow, along with some extra clothes, a makeup bag and a bag of spare diapers for her young son. This, along with the fact that the house party was only 20 minutes walk from her own home, leads us to believe that Mackie had intended to walk home, and for whatever reason, had made the decision to drink alcohol that night. It was also June 13th th of 2013 at the time of the house party, and summer in British Columbia can be much more temperate than people imagine, therefore ruling out the possibility that Mackie was caught in bad weather. The next thing that we know for certain is that the police then named Mackie's cousin and his friend, Victor, as suspects in the disappearance. Both were arrested and subjected to polygraph tests to determine if there were any inconsistencies in their story. At the time, given that they were the last two people to see Mackie alive, it was assumed to be a given that they were responsible for any foul play that may have occurred. But the Royal Canadian Mounted Police reported to the Basil family that both men were cooperative, and that even interviews forensic psychologists had gone very well essentially eliminating Keith and Victor as suspects. However, what became evident during these interviews is that Victor and Keith didn't just give Mackie a ride to the house party on the Tash Reserve, they actually gave her a ride back too. Somehow, Mackie had gotten out of the car during a ride home that should have taken 4 to 5 minutes, maybe even less. During interviews, Victor and Keith had claimed that their truck became stuck in a patch of mud, but it was high summer at the time and recent weather had been fair. Obviously, this answer did not satisfy police investigators, 
hence why they were subjected to numerous interviews and lie detection tests. But afterward, they were happy enough to release the men from custody. Our team has reached out to Victor and Keith, in order to ask them to shed a little more light on the events of that evening. Both aggressively declined. We may never know the reason that Mackie got out of her cousin's truck that evening, but we're certain she did. Forensic examination of her truck she was present and found absolutely no traces of blood, or anything else which may lead us to believe they had killed her. What's clear is that Mackie was now alone, in the middle of the night, on a lonely woodland road in the middle of British Columbia. If the RCMP have effectively ruled out foul play as the reason she disappeared, this leaves us with two serious theories, accident or animal attack. Although there are numerous dangerous wild animals that are known to live in the area around Tachi Kush, the theory of an animal attack is brought into question due to the lack of evidence of an attack found by the searchers involved in the thorough ground and air search. There was no confirmed recovery of any of the items that the young mother had when she went missing, nor was there any discovery of blood or other remains confirmed to be hers. If she went missing due to an accident or misadventure, then it is also reasonable to presume that she would have walked to where she met her demise. This would have been well within the range of the search party who were looking for her remains, which were never found. For all intents and purposes, a young woman went to a house party one night, and then dropped off the face of the earth. Missing people always leave something of a trail behind, one that 99% of the time, leads us to locate them, be it dead or alive. But somehow, Mackie did not, it really is as if she just melted into the ether. It should be also noted that Mackie's cousin, Bonnie Marie Joseph, went missing on the exact same stretch of road, just six years previously in September of 2007. This stretch of road happens to be known as the Highway of Tears, a 725-kilometer corridor of Highway 16 between Prince George and Prince Rupert, British Columbia, which has been the location of many murders and disappearances beginning in 1970. What sets Mackey's disappearance apart is that most of these other murders and disappearances have been solved relatively easily. While Mackey's case shows absolutely no sign of being solved anytime soon. If you are wanting a quiet and laid-back job, don't become a park ranger. Being a park ranger doesn't put you at the back of the world, where you'll be safe and unharmed. No. Being a ranger puts you at the forefront of the line. Marines, National Guard, SEALs. Give me one of those guys for six weeks and I guarantee you they'll be crapping their pants in ways they never did during basic. Look, the job puts you right at the contact point. Between the edge of humanity and the edge of darkness. As a park ranger, you are the unwitting crosswalk guard because there are always people trying to plunge into the darkness. And there are always things in the darkness trying to break through into the domain of man. Now with that little rant out of the way, here's my personal story. Rumors of wild animal attacks, in the park begin to pile up. People would come out of the park with bite marks. Slash wounds that were made by something from the animal kingdom. But, a few of the victims reported that the assailant was a man. A couple even went on to say that it was a full-on lycanthropy. The delusion held by a person that they are a wolf or a werewolf. 
I didn't exactly sign on to take down nut jobs. But myself, and my fellow rangers were briefed on what to do if we ever ran into the predator at large. And what we would do if it was an animal and what we would do if it was a human being, and thus we were expected to be more alert and vigilant and proactive. Than we were to begin with. I was out on patrol when I was sure that I saw movement in the trees. It looked unusual. I prayed that it wasn't a predator. I wasn't afraid, I just didn't want to tangle with anything. I readied my service firearm, got out of the car and called out in the direction of the movement. There was a response. I was met with the face of a man with hair so long that he would probably step on it if he wasn't careful. His eyes were wide open. To the point they were perfectly round o's. He tilted his head at me, in a mocking sneer. His teeth were yellow and pink and I'm pretty sure that he was completely naked. So, it was a safe bet that he was a nutcase. But I did mind the protocol and behaved as if he could understand me. I called to him to stand down and stop for a chat. He was waiting for me in a clearing. That beard of his was swaying like brown vines. Hanging from an ancient swamp tree. Madness rang out like an emergency siren from his eyes. There was no way that he was a rational human being. I trained my firearm on him and again attempted to talk him down. And that's when he projectile vomited something foul and bloody onto me. Stunned with disgust, not only was it obvious that he had spewed blood on me, the contents of his stomach was a whole collection of small fingers. Way too tiny to be that of an adult and the sheer number suggested that he had fed on multiple children. I almost felt that he had engorged himself just for the occasion. As a parent and a new grandparent, the situation had just taken a very personal turn. I gave chase and this maniac held long and high. It's not possible to explain just how fast he was. I would be close to catching up as to get a clear shot. And then he was darting ahead, out of range. I began to feel that I was being toyed with. The madness of the whole thing turned just plain evil. When the pursuit took me out, onto one of the playgrounds where plenty of kids were present. Like lightning the nude grinning monster had grabbed up a tiny girl by the hair. Scrawny as a newborn deer and sunken his teeth into one of her eyes and bitten it out. When I fired he had already flung her up in the line of fire. And just like that she was a one-eyed human shield. Her body knocked me back as she hit me square in the face. When I was regaining myself, the monster was already launching at yet another child. I was able to react in a fraction of the time. Only thanks to the adrenaline tearing through my system. Skull fragments flew and his outstretched fingers went limp before he could wrap them around a boy's small neck. I don't think I've ever fought so hard to keep consciousness. My body was trying to black out probably to cushion me from the knowledge that I'd just shot a child, the instant after she had been mutilated by a crazed monster. That's when the thought hit me. Was she even dead? I was beginning to see devil. I found her face down in the grass. Her hysterical parents were running to her. Turning her over, looking at her eye socket. This might be the most frightening part of all. Somewhere inside of me came the urge to shoot it. She was ruined. She would be scarred, and it was all because I was half a second too slow. One shot ruined. It was almost like I was hearing the thought out loud. Like it was being put into my brain. But my brain had finally snapped and I blacked out. 
I'm not too sure the outcome of everything, once I regained consciousness. The police were on all this pretty quickly. I resigned after being blackmailed and I can't give too much details about that. But I know SUVs and men in suits were quick at the scene. It's probably no surprise that none of this made it to the news. Or any news outlets online. And as far as I know, they took that little girl who by the way was still alive. Into custody on their end. Again I don't know whatever happened, but I don't work in that job field anymore. Years ago, back when I was living up in the state of Maine for a few years I loved to go explore the outdoors. In fact I made it a thing during the spring and summer. To go and try and hike as many trails as I could. Most of it was to just motivate me to get in shape and stay in shape. Having dealt with extremely toxic eating habits and a lot of weight gain. I figured the best thing for me was to be out in nature. Hiking, losing weight. After all I hated running, jogging, working out. But I love the woods. And walking almost feels like you're not doing anything. And it's easily one of the best and easiest exercises to pull off. I would usually start walking anywhere between 3 to 5 miles a day. I had no problems with it. I loved it. So in hindsight, it's the reason why I lost so much weight. But on this particular day in July, would stop my progression for at least a month because whatever I saw, scared the living terror out of me. I get there to the trailhead and I'm getting out of my car when I notice I'm the only one in the parking lot. Even though it was a very small parking lot. But still. It was a beautiful day in late July. And the only other vehicle I could see was a ranger's vehicle, who drove up to me quickly as I was getting my own backpack out the back seat. He called me over and wanted to speak to me. Ask what I was doing I told him I was working on endurance walking. Going up the trail. And this one was about a 5 mile loop. Which I told him was perfect. He informed me and his behavior was very disturbing. That I should try and find a different trailhead in a different area. And said there's been some possible animal sightings that were unknown and could pose a threat. I looked at him strangely and asked him do you mean like wolves or bears? And I'll never forget him looking away, looking down and just saying no. Not quite. And just kept referring back to that it's probably not the best idea I choose to hike this path. That it could potentially be dangerous. He was acting really weird. Avoiding specific answers and wouldn't answer my questions. I thought the dude was weird. Afterwards, he ended the conversation, drove off and wished me luck. I was thinking whatever dude. So I walked off and did my thing. I get about 4 miles down the trail probably about near an hour in. I was a pretty fast walker. Like I said I was probably a little over an hour into my trail when I come around to bend in the small trail. And directly ahead of me, coming right out of the trees, were two extremely large brown-shaped humanoid things walking right towards me at a slow pace. My first thought actually. Get this, when I saw these two things. And forgive me because I can't remember their names. But in Star Wars you have these white yeti looking things. The same creature that I believe Luke kills in episode 5. But forgive me if I'm wrong. They reminded me of that, big huge hands humanoid except they were brown. But they kind of had that same walk, 
slow and menacing. I immediately turned back around and started running as fast as I could. Thinking myself if these are Bigfoot. I'm most certainly dead. I'm not sure if it was my endurance at the time or pure terror taking over me. But I ran the extra four miles back to the parking lot. And probably half the time, that it took me up the trail. Also, I contribute that to the fact it was mostly downhill. So maybe 20 to 30 minutes. The things, well I don't know if they ever followed me I never turned around to check. But either way it scared the lights out of me. Did I get a real good look at them? No. I saw enough, to know that it was no bueno. Nine foot tall, hairy wood looking ape beast humanoid things. Scary, scary, scary. I never did go back to that trailhead again after that. And hiked in completely different areas. A few years later I moved out of the state down to Florida. Where I still am today. Still, I've gone through some crazy stuff in my life and nothing at all compares to the terror I felt in that moment and on that day. Now maybe I understand why that park ranger was acting so strange. He must have known something. Why he didn't tell me. I'll never know. My best friend from high school and I both became park rangers. It was something we had always dreamed about the only bummer was that we were park rangers at different parks. One weekend I went over to Yosemite National Park where he worked, for a quick camping weekend and a catch-up session. Although it was a quick three-day camping trip it was something we had been planning for months. We had a few of our old friends with us for the weekend. The first night we basically just made a fire and everybody drank massive amounts of beer. I've never been much of a drinker so when everyone else fell fast asleep I was still wide awake. It was a beautiful night and I wanted to stay up and look at the stars. My best friend stayed up with me for as long as he could but it wasn't long before he was also fast asleep. By that time it was nearly midnight. I was seated on a camping chair enjoying the view, the moon was pretty bright that night so I could see fairly well. Most of it looked like nothing more than shadows of course but I was able to make out shapes and items and I could see fairly far into the night. While I was sitting, I saw the dark figure of what I assumed to be a coyote. It had a very odd walk as if its feet were too heavy for it. I know it sounds silly but it looked like it was dragging its feet or something. It looked pretty large and it crossed between two large bushes a little way in the distance. I made a note of it checking to see if we had left any food out that it might want to get into later. A few minutes later I saw the same coyote crossing in the exact same spot. Again, I figured it was the same animal because of its larger size. And the way it seemed to be dragging his feet. It struck me as odd but I didn't bother too much thinking about it. That is until it happened again. The same dog crossed in exactly the same place. For the third time. I immediately felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up. That was incredibly unusual behavior for an animal like a coyote. I stood up and waited for it to get back, for some reason I figured that if I'm on my feet I'll get a better look at it and maybe understand what's going on. By that point the only reasonable explanation to me was that I was losing my mind. I turned back to see if I could see a cell phone light or anything in one of the tents. I was hoping that perhaps someone was awake and they could come see what I was seeing, then I'd know that I'm not crazy. Instead, when I turned, 
I spotted the creature walking past two smallish trees behind our campsite. That's when it dawned on me what was really going on. The creature was walking in a large circle. I watched as it circled our campsite for what felt like hours. In reality I think it was only about 15 minutes. I sat down in my seat and decided that I would watch. I didn't know what it was doing, but I didn't want to let my guard down. It was very big for a coyote and it was behaving oddly so I didn't trust it one bit. Eventually the creature let out a low growl, deeper than any other coyote I'd ever heard. And sat down. It seemed to be frustrated with the fact that I was still watching it. It sat down and faced me, and we stared at each other. The longer I looked at the creature, the more nauseous I felt. But something in me said that I needed to stay awake and I needed to keep an eye on it. So I did. It wasn't until the sun was getting ready to rise that the dog moved again. I was so excited to see the sky lightning that I glanced away from the creature for only about a second. When I looked back I saw something that made my blood run cold. Exactly where the dog was, stood a tall person. And I watched as he walked away, disappearing into the nearby tree line. I blinked a few times to make sure that what I was seeing was real, it certainly was. By the time I hung over friends all woke up I was fast asleep. I was exhausted and terrified of what I had seen and I planned on staying awake the next night to see if I could see it again. I didn't but I did go look at where the dog was walking and I found hundreds of dog track. And then, seemingly out of nowhere I found human tracks walking back into the trees. The park I work in also has a large camping area. Sometimes, we act more like security trying to keep people from going into the restricted areas of the woods in parkland after dark. These areas are out of bounds for very good and often uninteresting reasons. Sometimes there may be rare birds nests that we don't want disturbed. Or there's been some torrential rain which has made a certain area treacherous. But people sometimes like to think they know better. One important thing about the park I work at, is there are no bears. No bears at all in the entire area. Not been a bear sighting here for decades actually. So when we got a report from a little girl about seeing a really really large black bear we were pretty confused. And also thought the girl must be too. I had a good search in the area anyway. Just to please the child. And was stunned to find that there were very clearly bear claw scratches on trees where the child had reportedly seen the animal. There was no other evidence and we searched thoroughly through the whole park for any other signs but nothing. We still have no idea how it would be even possible for a huge bear to appear out of nowhere. When there hadn't even been a single bear sighting in the entire county for nearly 70 years. And even more how only one small girl could see it. Then it just disappears again. If it happened for the fresh scratches we would have thought that it was a prank, by one of our own animal experts. Even though they were adamant that it was legitimate. We will never know for certain, exactly what happened. And how it was even possible. There was talk about it being a ghost of a bear but that's not something I tend to believe in. However, I really couldn't think of any other possible explanation. I lived in Montana at the time this happened. Near the mountains. 
I lived in a small cabin with my wife and our two dogs. It was normally very quiet and nothing really happened out there. One night my wife ended up staying late at work to cover for someone who caught out sick. I was at the cabin alone, it wasn't something that was unusual. I've spent plenty of alone time in that cabin before. And it's never been something that's bothered me at all. I was laying in bed getting ready to go to sleep, when the dog started barking. I got up thinking that they must just need to use the bathroom really quick. Both of them were sitting calmly in front of the front door barking. It was kind of like they were waiting for someone to give them treats. I walked over to them to see what they were looking at and when I touched Penny, my Australian Shepherd Rescue, she bit me. She'd never bitten anyone in her life. And I was honestly shocked. By it right after she seemed to snap out of it she came over to come knowing that she had just heard me. It was very bizarre that she had just bitten me. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. My other dog Roscoe hadn't moved from the spot the entire time. I didn't want to move him and risk him biting me too. So I shook some treats and he left the spot and went to eat them. I looked out the window and I didn't see anything that would have alerted them like that. It was weird, I brought them into my room and laid down on the bed with them. Eventually I ended up falling asleep. The next day I told my wife about what happened. And we kind of assumed that they must have heard something outside. A raccoon, a possum or anything. Later that night I just finished cleaning up after dinner and I went to take the garbage out to the bin. I heard something rattling in the distance. I turned to look at where it was coming from and it sounded like it was coming from our garage. The garage was detached and we used it mostly for storage. But when I went out there the garage door was open for some reason. I walked towards it and tried to peer inside to see if I could see if there was anything in there. I assumed it was a raccoon or something. I heard this strange chattering noise from the garage. I froze in place when I heard it. It didn't sound like anything that I've ever heard before. I stopped walking towards it and just turned back to go inside the house. If it was some rabid raccoon or something, it was probably best just to call an exterminator. I told my wife and we decided that that would be best. I called an exterminator in the morning. And they were able to send someone out that day. I had them take a look in the garage and around the house. They didn't see any signs of wildlife. No raccoons, opossums, stray cats, nothing. I definitely thought that was weird. I know I heard something in that garage. It was all starting to feel very strange. I went back inside and my wife was working the night shift again. And I was expecting to be home alone until 3 a.m. I brought the dogs into my room and got ready for bed. I was nearly asleep when I heard the dogs barking again. I opened up my eyes and saw them sitting in front of the window. Just like they were a couple days ago. I jumped up and peeked through it to see what it was that they were barking at. 
I didn't see anything outside at first there was nothing running around or digging in the trash. But I looked up and then I saw it. In the sky I could see these three red lights circling and dancing around. It was close to the cabin, strangely close. Part of me wanted to go outside and investigate it further, but another part of me wanted to run and hide in the closet. I kept my eyes on the lights and they disappeared out of nowhere. When they both vanished, both of the dogs stopped barking. I couldn't sleep that night all I could think about was those lights. I wonder why they were affecting my dogs like that. I told my wife and she thought it must have been some sort of dream. I was starting to believe it for myself and I actually felt a little crazy. But after about a week later the same thing happened. I jumped up as soon as I saw the dogs barking and this time I decided I would have to go see what it was. I ran to the porch and looked up at the sky. The lights danced and coalesced in the air. It was almost hypnotizing to look at. I wanted to run away when I saw them but I was frozen in place. I woke up the next morning in bed, but the worst headache I've had in my entire life. I was next to my wife and wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I couldn't remember how I got there. I remembered getting out of bed and going to look outside at these lights. Everything else just went dark. I woke up and told my wife what had happened. And she thought it was just a dream I must have had. My wife didn't believe anything I said about what happened. And she couldn't understand why it was so fixated on it. I just can't shake the feeling that something happened to me, that I can't remember. I feel like I need to find out, but I don't even know where to begin. Every summer, for the past few years, a group of friends and I have traveled from our homes in Liverpool, in the UK, to Dumfries and Galloway, in Scotland. Dumfries and Galloway is home to the largest, continuous forest in the whole of the United Kingdom, Galloway Forest Park. It's about as wild as it gets for the UK, with some parts of the woods being so dense and overgrown that it's clear no one has stepped foot in them for hundreds, possibly thousands of years. Our yearly visits brought us peace, clarity and a respect for nature. But last year's trip ended in one of the most horrifying and distressing incidents of my entire life. One that completely changed the way I see the world, and the way I consider the human mind. Year in, year out, we take an overnight coach up across the border, then hike out to a place called Loch Aber. The Loch is a private fishing lake, supposedly reserved for members of a local fishing club who ensure that the waters are chock full of fish for them to catch, which makes it oh so easy for us to pull a quick, in and out raid to catch enough of the smaller rough fish for our dinner. I'm serious, 45 minutes and we're golden, and take it from any fisherman, that is lightning speed for a half-decent catch. But, last year, we decided we were tired of the same old digs and set our gazes further afield. A map told us that there was a similarly deep lock about 30 miles east, known as Lock D. We figured it would be a perfect fishing spot, and we were right. Sure it wasn't as quickfire as the private member's lake, but it came with considerably less guilt. Everything was going perfect, that was until the second night, when in the middle of a campfire drinking session, one of my buddies jumped out of his seat and recoiled from the fire. Who the hell is that? He asked sort of calmly at first, nothing more than cautious confusion. Who's who? 
Someone replies lazily. Someone moving, through the trees back there he was pointing into the trees directly behind my back. I actually gave a hoot of sarcastic laughter at first, thinking he was just trying to scare us. But the moment it became obvious that he was not messing around, a jolt of fear went through me and I too leapt out of my seat, spun around, and shined by torch into the darkness. You could feel the tension among us rising as we desperately looked around for who we might have been talking about. Torch beams darted across the trees, inspecting every trunk or thicket of bushes, but there was nothing, no sign of the person my friend had seen. Hello? Someone called out, immediately shushed by the rest of us. No one wanted to give away our position, but at the same time, we needed to know if there was anyone out there, watching us. But again, nothing, just silence. I think you've had a bit too much to drink, mate, I remember saying to the guy who supposedly seen a figure walking through the trees. I'm fine, I've barely touched that bells I brought, I swear to god I saw someone just then like who? Someone asked, man, woman, young, old, what? I, I don't know he replied shakily, but, they were big, really big. Only big thing around here is your bloody imagination, mate. Now go and get your head down, it's been a long day. And it had, thanks to the overnight coach, no one really sleeps on the journey up to Scotland. I mean, they close their eyes, put some chill music through their earphones, but they never really sleep. So everyone ends up being pretty wrecked by the end of the first night. The next morning, we felt even worse. The first night after such a long journey is usually one where we sleep like the dead, but not that night. None of us could quite relax, not with the possibility of having someone stalking us in the backs of our minds. Thank God we were only planning to fish that day, as we really were not in the mood for anything else, given how bloody exhausted we were. After breakfast, we marched down to the lock with our fishing gear. It's a gorgeous area, a crisp, blue lake ringed by hills. It's not unusual to get some really nice, sunny days up in Scotland too, especially during the summer. But that day, the sky was this horrible, grimy grey, like the sun had barely risen at all. I was tired, half soaked from the drizzle, barely even excited to be fishing for my dinner. I actually hoped for something exciting to happen, and for my sins, my wish came true. Look! One of us shouted, over there, other side of the lock. Jesus Christ can you see that thing? It was the same lad that had seen someone, or something, walking through the trees. Where? We were terrified, one sighting could have been his eyes playing tricks on him, another couldn't possibly be a mistake. There, he said, pointing, just on the other side, it came out of the trees for a moment then disappeared again. Please tell me you saw that. Mate, just calm down, it's probably Zhu. I know what I saw. And we need to get the hell out of these bloody woods, right now, he said, grabbing up his fishing gear in a panic. I remember him rushing off back to camp, one of the lads following him, still trying to calm him down. But it was impossible. He was manic, scared half to death by whatever had briefly emerged from the woods on the other side of the lock. I asked the other boys if they'd seen anything, each shook their head. None have had any idea what he was talking about, 
But that didn't mean they weren't just as freaked out over his outburst. We were supposed to stay for seven full nights. But that second one was our last. We'd managed to talk the lad who was panicking down, convince him to stay a few nights more at the very least. We'd come all this way, and I wasn't about to let one of us just leave because they'd had a wee scare or something. But it didn't end there either. In the middle of the night, the lad that had been seeing something burst out of his tent, waking each of us up before asking can you hear that? There was silence, dead silence. I mean I strained my ears trying to hear what had him so spooked, but I heard nothing, just the rustling of a few sleeping bags as confused blokes sat up awake. He was scratching as his own ears, gritting his teeth, rocking back and forth in the dirt as the sound seemed to completely overwhelm him. That's the exact moment I realized, I think the same moment everyone else picked up on it too, that there was no noise. There was no monster. It was all in his head. He was experiencing a psychotic break, and it was all in his head. Have you ever felt a strong presence from the woods, a feeling like you being watched? Well, the truth is something is watching you from the trees and shadows. Monsters hide in the woods, preying on the innocent and striking quickly. They won't stop, they never will. This my story and I hope it serves as a warning to all about the truth of the woods and how dangerous it truly is, how dangerous they are. Growing up I never had a dad. My father left me and my mom when I was young and I haven't seen him since. Sure I get the occasional birthday or Christmas card with money, but besides that he's almost a stranger to me. After my father left my mother decided to leave the city life behind and we moved when I was 10 to Wisconsin where we bought a small cabin out in the woods. At first I hated living there, the woods always terrified me as a kid. Every time I looked out the window towards the woods, I always got an unsettling feeling, chills would run up my spine and I would start to shake uncontrollably. I always felt something was watching me, the feeling never went away even as I got older. I hated the walk to school I had to make every day, the looming feeling of getting watched grew even stronger as I walked in the woods. I felt so vulnerable looking at the tall trees, the woods I lived by had almost an endless stretch of tall trees in the forest, I felt something was watching me up on the trees. My mom though felt completely different about the woods, she loved them. She loved taking walks outside and just staring at the trees and the forest, taking all of nature in. She was an artist so she loved to just sit outside and paint the trees, many of the portraits in our cabin were of the trees and the forest. I asked her if she ever felt a presence when she was out there, like something watching her. Yes, I feel a strong presence, but it's a comforting one, she said. I feel safe and protected. I never understood why she had such a conforming feeling from the woods while I felt a terrifying one, one that kept wide wake almost every night. On one night when I was about to go to sleep I saw something from the trees. It was far off into the distance, but I could barely make out the silhouette of a figure. It was big, and bulky with long arms and from the angle it looked like it was staring right at me. I froze as I started at it, then I heard my mom walking to my room and when I turned to see her open the door, I looked back to see the figure gone. I tried telling my mom but she never listened. She said I was simply imagining things and that I needed to quit being scared of the woods. 
The woods protect us from the outside world Michael, they are a shield to all the bad things in the world. I knew what I saw, and I knew whatever it was, wasn't protecting me. On the way to school that morning I felt the presence, stronger than ever. Every time I turned around though, nothing was there. Suddenly I heard a branch snap behind me and I didn't dare turn around. I couldn't move, then I heard another branch snap and I took off running. I could hear fast steps behind me as I was running which made me run faster. I could hear the footsteps gaining on me, when it seemed they were right on me I burst out of the woods, sweating like a pig. The day went by normal, once school was over I asked my friend James if he wanted to walk home with me, James was my best friend and the only person who understood my fear of the woods. He lived close by to me and he also could feel a disturbing presence watching him. He tried telling his parents like I did with mine but they didn't listen either. Dude did that really happen? He asked as I told him about what happened on the walk to school. Yeah man, I just don't feel comfortable walking in those woods alone man, I know there's something in there, I said what do you think it is? James asked as we started walking home. I don't know, I think I saw it last night though. It was like really big with huge long arms, it was far away so I couldn't see anything else. He was quiet now, then he said, I think I've seen it too. I saw something last night too, it was a lot like the thing you describe. Then we heard a loud snap behind us and turned around to see a tree branch on the ground snapped in half. Dude something's following us, we need to run, James said. No, don't run. I did that and it chased me, maybe if we keep walking slowly it won't do anything. James, looking terrified at me nodded his head slowly as we started walking. We heard more snaps as we walked, getting louder and closer as we walked. I looked over at James, he looked back at me white as a ghost. After what felt like an hour, I could see the outline of my house in the distance. Our pace quickened as we got closer and closer to my house, the snaps and cracks quickening as well behind us. As soon as we got close enough, we took off in a dead sprint towards my house not looking back. We ran inside and I locked the door once we were inside. Everything okay? I heard my mom say behind me. We looked at each other then I heard James say, yeah Mrs. S. We just raced each other to the house. She looked at me and I nodded quickly. Okay, be careful though with the door, it's old and I don't want it falling off. Okay, sorry mom, I said as James started to run off upstairs. Once upstairs and in my room James said, dude, we can't walk that way to school. I know but what will we tell our parents? They won't believe us, I said. James was silent now. I knew he wouldn't be able to come up with anything. I think as long as we're quiet and walk slow, that thing won't come after us, I said. Yeah, let's hope so, James said in a quivering voice. James went home shortly after that and after I ate dinner I headed upstairs to bed. What is that thing I think as I laid in bed? A person? An animal? It's fast like an animal, but it looks like a tall person. I looked out the window into the dark forest, and froze. The thing was there and closer, I could make out more characteristics as I stared at it. It had a hunchback and long fingers with razor-sharp claws, I didn't see any eyes on it, but I could somehow feel its cold stare locked on me. It just stared, observing me.
Then, it turned around and walked back into the forest. That is no person or animal I think to myself once it's gone. It wants me, I'm its prey. After a restless night of sleep, I woke up and walked downstairs to see my mom sitting on the counter with a worried look on her face. Hey mom, everything okay? I asked. Morning honey, I have some bad news, she said look at me. What is it? I asked. Your friend James, well, he's missing. His parents went into his room this morning and he was gone. I stood there petrified, it wasn't following us, it was tracking us. Tracking James. Are you okay Michael? She asked. I could only see James' face in my mind now, the image of him looking at me as we were walking home, white as a ghost. I couldn't keep everything in and I told my mom everything, the thing that chased me, me and James being stalked by it, and seeing it for the past two nights getting closer to me. You've got to believe me mom, I pleaded. Something is in those woods and it took James and now I think it's gonna take me. She looked at me with a sad expression, she sighed then said, I know this must be hard for you Michael, but there's nothing in those woods, James might have ran away or anything could have happened. Mom, it took him, James would never run away from his parents, I said. She looked at me then look at the clock behind me, I think it's time you get to school now dear, we'll talk about this later. I pleaded with my mom to drive me to school, begged her on my knees. She finally relented after a minute. Okay, okay just this one time. We need to leave now though and be quick, I have to get to the studio. I thanked her and ran to get my backpack and stuff, nothing happened on the drive as I expected. After dropping me off at the front of the school, everyone ran up to me and asked if I heard about what happened to James. Everyone was talking about James that day, they started rumors either saying he ran away or was kidnapped. Do you know what happened to him? Sally, asked frantically as she ran up to me at lunch. She had had a crush on James since the second grade and even though James showed no signs of affection towards her, she still adored him. She was a short girl, with short brown hair and brown eyes. I debated about whether I should tell Sally the truth but I knew she wouldn't believe me, no one would. I told her I didn't know and tried to continue eating my lunch but she wouldn't give up, come on Michael you're his best friend, please if you know anything that could have happened to him please tell me, she said with tears in her eyes. I tried ignoring her but she wouldn't stop, then her friends came over and started asking, then more and more people came asking if I knew what happened to James. The voices became too much for me and I screamed. I don't know what happened to him, please leave me alone. I screamed as loud as I could. Everyone stopped talking and now stared at me, my cheeks started to turn red as I got embarrassed. The bell rang and everyone started heading off to class, leaving me still sitting at the lunch table. I packed my unfinished lunch and started to head off to my science class which I had next. I decided then and there that I would find James, I had to know if he was alive or not. James, if you're still alive, I'll find you. After school I called my mom and asked if she could pick me up, she said she could and five minutes later she pulled up in her white Cadillac. As we drove home she asked, feeling better honey? I lied saying, much better. I knew she would never believe me, I was going to have to face that thing on my own.
We got home and I headed straight upstairs where I dumped all my school supplies on my bed and started to pack gear for that night. I packed spare flashlight batteries, some water, and I put the pepper spray my mom gave to me last year in my pocket just in case. As I was eating dinner, I came up with a plan. I would sneak out of the house when my mom went to bed which was usually around 10 and I would head into the woods and try to find a look for James. I knew my chances against that thing were slim to none so I knew I would have to be quiet and careful. After dinner I went to my room and waited. I waited for hours until I looked over at my clock which read 10.30 pm. I hopped out of bed and walked over to the window, opening it quietly. I made a little rope with my bed sheets as I waited as I knew I wouldn't be able to jump off the window without getting hurt. I tied the rope against my bed and started to climb out of the house slowly. Once down, I turned my flashlight on and aimed it towards the woods. It was even more terrifying now, the trees seemed endless and I couldn't even see the moon. I took a deep breath, and started to walk slowly into the woods. I noticed something that started to scare me quickly once I was walking, there was absolute silence. Not a peep, no crickets, no owls, nothing. I flashed my light around quickly, calling out James' name quietly. James, James are you out there? Nothing but silence echoes the woods. I walk towards the directions of James' house, thinking he may be around there. As I'm about halfway to his house, the battery for my flashlight dies. Darkness now engulfs me as I panic. I scramble for the batteries in my backpack, once I find them I take the dead batteries out of my flashlight and put the new ones in. When I turned my light back on, I screamed. Standing in front of me, was that thing. The fear I felt was indescribable, even to this day the image of it still fills my dreams with nightmares. It had no skin, it was all red muscles and tissues. It had no eyes and its mouth was full of dozens of razor-sharp teeth as it smiled and drooled looking down at me. It was at least 9 feet tall and it had a bad hunch to its back. Its claws were even sharper close up, as sharp as its teeth were. Its upper body was big and bulky while its long legs were skinny as a twig. Its arms were huge with big muscles and bulging veins. I screamed even more as it bent down and picked me up by the head. It dragged me across the woods as I kicked and screamed, stupid, stupid stupid stupid. What the hell were you thinking coming into the woods I thought. It dragged me until I eventually passed out. When I woke I found myself in a dark cave, hanging upside down by at least 5 feet. The cave looked ancient, with 3 tunnels that led into darkness. I had never seen this cave in the woods, never even knew there was one in the first place. The light that was in the cave was from a single fire in the middle of the cave, I could see my backpack on the ground with my phone near it. I tried to reach and grab it but I couldn't move. The thing had wrapped ropes around my angles to the sharp rocks above me, I was hopeless. I thought to James now as I started to look around the cave, in one of the corners of the caves I saw a single orange t-shirt on the ground. That's James's shirt I realized. Suddenly I heard heavy footsteps walking towards me, I saw the thing walk into the cave as it stared at me. I panicked and started screaming again, then the thing spoke in a dark and gruff voice quiet food. Maybe I'll let you live a little longer. I shut up now, petrified as it spoke to me. 
I saw in its hand a leg, oh God, please let that not be James the first thought. It spoke again now, I've been watching you for a long time, you have always looked the most appetizing of everyone. It lifted up the leg in its hand then said, your friend here tasted wonderful, but I think you'll taste even better, it said with a twisted grin on its face. I started to cry, weeping at the loss of my friend and knowing that I would follow in his footsteps. Somehow, I got out a question in a shaky voice, what are you? The thing looked it down at me for a moment, thinking then said, I am an ancient being, my kind is almost extinct as there are only a few of us left. We have ruled the woods for the past centuries, preying on anything that steps foot on any of our lands. Over time, hunters have come and killed most of my kind, now we hide in the shadows, only coming out when food is near. I think for a moment before asking another question, do you only eat young kids? The thing now smiled, showing off its dozen of teeth as it said, of course, kids taste the best, very juicy and sweet. It had cut me off the ropes with its claws, squeezing me with its ginormous hands as it started to open its mouth. I was barely able to ask one more question, how can you hunt, without any eyes? It stared at me, closing its mouth before saying, I can track your scent, my nose serves as my eyes as I have none. I smell my food out before I come for it at night, lucky for me I didn't have to come for you, you came to me. It opened its mouth wide as I panicked starting to throw myself around trying to get out of its grasp. Hold still food. It boomed at me. I was somehow able to move my hands into my pocket, where miraculously I felt the pepper spray that didn't fall out of my pocket. I acted quickly as I got closer to the thing's mouth and pulled out the pepper spray and sprayed it into its face. It shrieked as it dropped me, crying and holding its face. I got up quickly and ran towards the middle entrance where the creature came from. I ran as fast as I could, hearing the creature give chase behind me. I ran until I somehow found the entrance to the cave. I saw light illuminating from the entrance as I ran with all my might into the day. I kept running even after I was out of the cave. I ran and never looked back. I was able to somehow navigate my way through the forest to the cabin, I gave a sigh of relief once I saw the cabin and stopped running. I looked behind me now, expecting the thing to be right behind me, ready to strike. Nothing was there. I walked back to the cabin, out of breath. When I opened the door my mom ran towards me, embracing me as she cried. Where have you been? I called the police and they couldn't find you, I thought I lost you. I didn't say anything, I was tired and hungry, but worse of all I was terrified knowing that more of those things were out there, waiting for me. We moved shortly after that to Chicago and moved in with my aunt. I grew up normally and made new friends in Chicago, even got a new best friend named Kyle. I never forgot about James though, he was my first best friend who had my back and died in the hands of a monster. The thought of that thing still haunts me now, I tried telling my mom what happened many times but I couldn't. I knew she still wouldn't believe me. What scares me the most is knowing there are still more of those things out there, hunting in the shadows. I write this story to tell everyone, to warn everyone about these things. They hunt for children, feasting on them. Be careful near the woods, you never know what lurks in the shadows of the trees. Please, don't ever go into the woods at night, 
they are watching and waiting for you.